Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What a week it was for the Pac-12. What a weekend it was for fans of offense, controversy, and upsets. The conference finds itself with five teams ranked, though I, th- I think there is some major questions as to who is deserving and who is not. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm Jonathan Rifkin, joined by my co-host Ryan Leaf. And Ryan, we have so much to unpack from one of the most wild weekends in Pac-12 football in recent memory. And while the ranking conversation is intriguing, we start with this. The first punt return for a touchdown for this school since 2005 when Maurice Jones-Drew did it. This team's second 30-plus point comeback in the last four seasons and a Pac-12 record for total points in a game. And oh, by the way, it was the first one of the season for this team. Of course, I am talking about the University of California, Los Angeles. And I think that the final game on the Pac-12 slate is the best place for us to begin. UCLA defeats Wazoo on the road 67-63. And I want to know more than anybody else, Ryan, what your reaction was to the score and to the game as a whole. It's a, a completely embarrassing. It's absurd that this is happening to this Washington State football team. You I've always said all along that Mike Leach and, and what he brings to, to the table with the air raid offense is a bit of a freak show. Like you go to the circus, you go to the freak show, you watch the, the, all of that. And they're up 49 to 17. I go to bed. I'm on the central time zone. All of a sudden my phone starts buzzing. Uh, texts start coming in. People are telling me to get up and watch this debacle that is about to play out. And I watch an offense that proceeds to try to do what they do all game long. And when you're up that many points, there isn't a focus that exists like that. So you don't take the play clock down to two seconds. Instead, you snap it at 20 or 24 at one point. You don't hand it off to your best running back in Borgie. You throw it to wide receivers quickly who are getting stripped of the football every time. And then you punt it and <laughs> and your special teams isn't ready to – to cover right and then ultimately you allow for one of the most embarrassing things to happen to washington state football and and i don't know how long a lot of people are using this as an example of like a launching pad for ucla ucla is still gonna be a three and 19 you know this didn't change anything this is a referendum on washington state and year in year out they find ways to mess up a conference game like this and then make the apple cup all the marbles. My only way that I thought Washington State could get through uh, losing once again to Washington at the end of the season was to not lose another game in conference all year long. Well, that's that's gone away. They blow a 32-point. They had a 99.9% chance of winning with 19 minutes to go in the football game. 
UCLA scores 50 points in the second half. 19, 19 minutes. I, I, I'm still just fuming over this process. More about the fact that people woke me up at 117 <laughs> uh, Central Time, but also because my alma mater. You know, it's just that it's just that thing. Everybody's telling them how great Pac-12 After Dark is. It was it was embarrassment. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they rebound this week because, you know, they just they had an opportunity to be, to want, be one of only two teams that left undefeated in the conference. And, you know, just, just like you and I talked about games, how important games were, Utah, uh, our thought process is that next week we're going to have two undefeated right. football teams playing in a, in a great oppor- opportunity with Utah and, and Washington State. And, you know, you know, you think you know what's going to happen. Just wait and watch the football games and see how it really plays out. You created the perfect segue into the game I want to talk to talk about next. But first, I want to talk about Anthony Gordon's performance. 570 yards passing, 41 for 61, nine touchdowns. Though late in the game, it seemed like all of that was released by not his, not by his fault, but uh, some late late game mishaps for Washington State. A fumble at the end of the game that gave UCLA uh, the ball back. It took them three plays to score, take the lead after Felton caught that short third down pass. Pass, excuse me, from Thompson Thompson Robinson uh, to eventually go ahead and win the game. How much does this UCLA come from behind victory in the fashion that they did overshadow Anthony Gordon's performance? Uh, yeah, it puts it to, I mean, no one's talking about that. They're, they're using it as an anecdote, right? They're talking about how uh, how a team could have a quarterback throw nine touchdown passes and it's not enough to win the football game. That's that's what ultimately that does. Uh, on Gardner Minshew night, essentially, with him in attendance, uh, breaking his record. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it does for, for him in terms of uh, – you know, his, his status as a, as a legendary quarterback there. For me, it's always going to be about, you know, winning football games and then beating the Huskies. Those are, that's going to be like the prerequisites for, for being a legend at Washington State. And I give, a, I give a ton of people crap about it all the time. I give Jason Gesser and my little cousin Matt Kegel a hard time, and I give Gardner Minshew a hard time, and, and Luke Falk. And it, it just, you know, I don't, unless you beat the Huskies, I don't want to hear about it, all right? I don't want to hear about it because you're not getting to the Rose Bowl if you don't do that. And that's what should be the goal of this football team. And I said it a year ago, and people didn't like it, that this team is an 8-3 and three, uh, or an 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three type of team right. year in, year out with Mike Leach. And that's good enough to make you a god in Pullman. It just didn't make people happy because it means you're not winning championships. And guess what? They're not winning championships if they allow a team to come back from 32 points and lose a football game. It just, you're not winning championships if you are if you do that, and, and that's simply what happened on, on Saturday night. So maybe this is a better question to stay, save for our next pod when we preview week five, but what does Washington State have to do under Mike Leach? Because it's obvious they get the talent, especially from some very strong regions in the nation. They have a really specific kind of offense that plays to their success. What do they have to do to get over that 8-4, and 9-3 hump and really become the contender for the Pac-12? Well, clearly they got to do the, the simple things, right? I mean, first of all, I call up Paul Christ uh, out at, at Wisconsin and ask him, hey, Paul, hey, when you're up 35 to nothing, how do you not lose that game? That's the first call I'm making if I'm Mike Leach. And then the second thing is you, you are unique. I get it, right? But it doesn't cost you anything to take the play clock down to, let's say, four seconds and take the snap. It's still behind. If you still want to be up-tempo with what you're doing in terms of passing the football, 
But you have Max Borgie, a guy that is as reliable with his hands as anybody. Feed him the football, four yards in a cloud of dust. You know, if you would have just shaved off time during the span, they just wouldn't have had enough time to come back. That's it for me. You can't lose boneheaded type games like this. You can't lose those types of games. A year ago, you found a way to lose the USC game with some controversy with the officials, but that's the game that ultimately cost you because clearly you haven't shown anybody that you can beat the Washington Huskies yet. And until you're able to do that, you can't afford to lose uh, boneheaded games like this against UCLA last year against USC. You can't afford it, especially with uh, the brutal road schedule they have. They got to go to Utah this week. They got to go to Arizona state, uh, Oregon, Cal, uh, Washington. It's, you know, you can't lose games that you were guaranteed to win, in my opinion, and that's what happened on Saturday. We're definitely going to revisit this conversation down the road in this podcast when we talk about Washington's defeat uh, at BYU, or excuse me, Washington defeating BYU in Provo. But before we do that, I want to backtrack to the beginning of the Pac-12 slate this past weekend. USC, Utah, you mentioned it next week. We were excited to potentially see two undefeated teams in Utah and Washington State. Well, unfortunately, we're going to see two one-loss teams. Utah losing to USC 28-20 to in a game that may have, number one, decided the South, and number two, may have completely destroyed the conference's chances at a college football playoff appearance. And I know hindsight is twenty twenty. Slovis goes down, Matt Fink takes over, and leads the Trojans to a massive win over Utah. Fink's could have taken the chat, Fink's, Fink, excuse me, wow, it's a tongue, tongue twister, could have taken the Jack Sears route, but instead he chose to stay, and the decision ended up paying off. What did you like out of what is perceived to be the third-string quarterback for USC, though I think if he found his way to another FBS program, he could start. Um, and I know Utah lost Zach Moss, but their team overall, their defense has been reliable. Their team overall has been really good. They couldn't get it done in the Coliseum. You know, they couldn't get it done. You know, they were exposed defensively, especially on the back end. You know, those weren't, you, you weren't in the film room this week on, on Monday or whenever they watched the film of this game, and, and Graham Harrell's not pointing to Matt Fink going, Hey, great job here, Matt, of throwing into double coverage in a cover two safety. You know, that, that's not what was done. They just – I don't know what it was about sometimes with the quarterbacks these days, especially at USC with the, with the two guys that have backed up. But I found out there's a name for it. It's called YOLO throws. <laughs> you only live once throws where you just throw it up and hope your supermen of wide receivers make plays for you. And that's what happened. Two of the touchdowns were just absolutely boneheaded throws that the DBs looked like they were absolutely lost. Like they'd never been in a play where the ball was thrown deep on them. Jalen Johnson, uh, Blackman at the safety position, they just looked like it was a foreign object to them. And they couldn't make plays. And these supermen at wide receiver, in particular Michael Pittman, uh, Tyler Vaughns, and Amon Ross St. Brown made them look uh, – made them look small, made them look slow, made them look like they didn't know what they were doing because Utah controlled every other aspect of that football game. Time of possession, first downs, defensively, they were just dominant everywhere else. Uh, and because of that, they just couldn't get it done. They had a possession before the end of the first half. They fumbled. I'll always be dumbfounded on why teams that are, have the ball inside like the three-yard line continue to get into the shotgun go back to eight yards, and then make a decision to run zone read. Not, not the zone read play I'm not upset about. It's that you give the quarterback the option to either pull or give. 
And with that indecisiveness down there, the ball can easily be fumbled with so many players around, and they blew an opportunity. If you're going to run a play down there or you run a zone replay, just, just either call in to Tyler, give the football, or keep the football. That's what I want in that instance. I don't want a decision to be made by the quarterback because, you know, nine times out of ten for me, it seems like these, these possessions end up blowing up in their face. And, in fact, this one did. They intercept or they fumble it. They lose a possession. They had the ball to come out in the second half. They missed field goals. It, it, it just was a rough day all around. I don't know why Utah has struggled so much uh, when they're the better football team, I think, in the Coliseum, but they did and essentially put themselves in a position uh, that, that, that that's not going to allow, I think, for a Pac-12 team to be in the college football playoff conversation because of that loss. Do you think Zach Moss going down after six carries and only 20 yards and Tyler Huntley feeling the need to put the, the running game on his back, uh, 18 carries, 60 yards, and then, of course, Devin Brumfield, the backup, 10 for 63. Do you think that Huntley tried to take too much of the game into his own hands? No, not at all. I think he, he played great. I, I think they could do a better job of protecting and throwing the football down the football field, but I think Tyler Huntley played an unbelievably good game. Losing Zach Moss is something that cannot be overstated. It was huge. He is a punishing running back where they could have controlled the line of scrimmage more. Also, the defense played great, but when it came down to USC running a four-minute drill to end the football game, up front, they were better. They ran the football down Utah's throats late in that football game. When Utah needed a stop, they couldn't get it. And USC ran it and found a way to win that football game, and deservedly so. They, they found a way to win. Now, they are a much different football team on the road, and, you know, this team, I said it a week ago, could easily be two and four after week six. I, I'm not going to jump back to that. I didn't throw them into my top 25 this week just because they won again, right? I'm not going to throw them in just to throw them out a week later. I need to see more. If they're able to win these next two weeks, if they're able to go and win in Seattle and win against Notre Dame, I'm willing to put them in the top 25. But, you know, I, I think they're going to be a three and three football team. And I think they, they don't win at Washington, and I, I don't think they win at Notre Dame. So, you know, we're talking about a team when it's all said and done six weeks in or three and three. It just went about a different way than I expected it to. I certainly didn't think they would be able to beat Utah. I assume they beat BYU. That will be the difference in flip-flop in those games for me, I think. The difference between the AP and the coaches poll has USC at 21 in the AP poll and 25 in the coaches poll. Now, you don't have USC in your top 25. I'm shocked that USC is ranked at all. I thought they might have gotten that 25 spot because TCU lost to SMU. But I, I don't see why they're deserving, especially going from unranked to 21 and jumping teams like UCF. I know they lost to Pitt. Texas A&M, I know they got blown out by Auburn. But those are much more valiant games than USC beating Utah, a Utah team that I think was overrated going into the game to begin with. Why is it, again, we talked about this two weeks ago when USC was ranked um, after beating Stanford. Why does the AP favor USC so much when, like you said, in two weeks maybe we have the conversation that USC should be ranked? Why is this the conversation now? It's just a brand, right? I mean, and there's preconceived notions. I, you know, I even I even squandered on this a little bit uh, in terms of when my top 25. You know, if, if I was going truly on what we've seen this year and who they've played, I think Clemson sits at the top. Uh, but, you know, Auburn easily could be second right now. Right. And, you know, if you're looking at USC, they, 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 they've beaten Stanford, uh, who we found out isn't very good. But they beat Utah. So, but they also lost to BYU. So I, it, right there for me, that you could throw teams 15 to 40 all in a jumbler, spin it around, and just throw them out randomly, and I could, 
I could work with that in terms of what the top 25 is. It, it almost is a situation where I just start throwing in the top, top 15 uh, because that's what the, the true numbers come down. Because USC is out of the conversation when it comes to the college football playoff. They're not in terms of the Pac-12. They haven't lost the conference football game. They play one next week. That's big. They're 2-0 and in conference against what people would have considered before the season started, very good football teams in Stanford and Utah. So they're doing more than was expected. Uh, I think the next week's going to be very difficult for them to go uh, to Washington. They're going to have to host uh, Oregon later in the year. So, I mean, what, it, what it's done is made for some interesting fodder for what the rest of the season will look like. And I will say a lot about Graham Harrell and that football team. The fact that they've been able to win three out of these first four games in the fashion that they have with three different quarterbacks, I think says a lot about their coaching style and the talent they get to come to USC still. And that actually segues perfectly. I want to put a pin into the, the games for just a moment. There was some breaking news yesterday. The number two ranked quarterback in the nation out of modern day out in Santa Ana, California. Bryce Young flipped his commitment from USC to Alabama. Why is it so hard for the local schools, USC, UCLA, to get these top recruits or keep them when there's such a talent-filled pool in the Southern California area? Well, you know, nobody, nobody needs to think that, that anything's happened right now, right? I mean, his commitment to, you know, Alabama is just as, you know, foolproof is his commitment to USC. So let's, you know, let's, let's not do anything until signing day. And uh, uh, because none of it means anything, you say you're going to go somewhere, but until you sign on the dotted line, it really doesn't mean anything. So I'm, I'm not really ready to jump into the recruiting conversation and whether anybody is staying someplace or whether they're not. I, I just, I don't, I don't buy into that until you've actually made a commitment and, and you just saying this, I was just at the Ole Miss this week and there was a young man, named Matt Corral, who played quarterback at Long Beach Poly. And he committed to USC first, then Florida, then ultimately um, ultimately uh, Ole Miss. So you never know with these young kids. They just – next time he goes on a trip somewhere, they may wine and dine him in just the right way that he is going to decommit to Alabama and all of a sudden now he's going to Oregon. Who knows? We never know how that's going to go. So I'm not – I'm not really willing or, or want to dive into the conversation around recruiting until signing day is actually here. All right, we'll revisit it then. Just so uh, our listeners know, the Pac-12 is missing out on the number one and number two quarterback recruits in the nation. As of right now, DJ Ugulele at St. John Bosco is committed to Clemson. Um, and then the, the number seven recruit in the nation is, has no consideration for any of the teams in the Southern California region. That's CJ Stroud at Rancho Cucamonga. All right, so implications after the USC-Utah game got much more convoluted after Washington thrashed BYU. Utah opened up the season beating BYU 30-12 to in a game that everybody said, BYU's pretty good, that's a good one for, for Utah. USC loses to, uh, to BYU last week in overtime, and then Washington exploits a lot of weakness in BYU, which to me devalues Utah's win and brings up even more questions on whether USC is as good as advertised. To add another layer on top of it, Ryan, I think that even hurts the Pac-12's chances at a college football playoff even more because, as you say, not only does this can- this conference cannibalize each other, but when a team like Washington goes in and thrashes BYU after BYU beat USC last week, I think it raises even more doubts about uh, the validity of competitiveness in this conference. No, I don't think it does that at all. I think this, com- this conference is as competitive as it is. This has been going on forever, right? This has been going on since before you were born. This has been going on when Washington State unranked walked into the Rose Bowl 
and, and beat Troy Aikman and the number one ranked Bruins. You know, 0-3 teams have been beating 3-0 and teams forever in this conference. It, it's since the invention of the college football playoff that it devalued conferences for not having a Clemson or an Alabama, a team that is so good that absolutely doesn't represent anything else. This conference is as fun as hell, and I enjoy every minute of it. I, I you know, I went into the season pretty much thinking that, again, the Pac-12 is not going to have a team in the, conf- in the college football playoff, and guess what? I'm okay with that because we're going to have five games this week coming up. We had five games a week ago, and every single one of them, in my opinion, were fun, entertaining. You don't know how it's necessarily going to go. Uh, and, and that's what I love about college football, and that's what I love about this conference. And not for once am I going to uh, continue enabling, I think, the, the writers and the pundits all over the country and talk about the conference as not being uh, involved in the national narrative because – there's there's a, there's so many teams out there that are part of conferences that you would consider being in the national narrative that just there aren't part of the conversation at all and their games aren't fun and their games aren't entertaining and they certainly aren't competitive. Washington beats BYU 45 to 19. The former Gatorade National Player of the Year out of Washington, Jacob Eason, the quarterback for the Huskies, looked phenomenal in the win, 24 for 28, 290, and three touchdowns. He completed 13 straight passes at one point in the first half. They didn't have Salvin Ahmed, which was their uh, their star running back. He was out with an undisclosed injury. Backup Sean McGrew came and looked great with 110 yards, and it really seemed like Washington all but that one uh, for all but that one interception thrown by Eason was clicking on all cylinders. And it gave them a lot of momentum because this is a team that is now fighting after that loss for Cal to try and get back into the conversation if they ever left uh, to win the North and potentially the Pac-12. Well, the North is always going to be there for them. Uh, the North is going to beat up on each other. The, now that it really looks like the Oregon-Washington game is going to be the, the one that, that decides the North. Uh, you know, Cal's going to throw their hat into the ring. You know, they're going to, they're going to, there's a lone undefeated team left. Uh, and, you know, I have them making an improvement this year, but Washington is, is a team that, that couldn't get it done against them in, in a very unusual way uh, because the game was delayed because of lightning didn't kick off till super or didn't finish until super late. Uh, there's, there's a bit of an anomaly there. But what Jacob Eason looked like on, on Saturday makes me believe that this team has kind of found its rhythm, found what they're doing. We'll find out this week. USC coming up to visit them in Seattle. Uh, it's over the last, 50, I think, 52 meetings. Uh, the winner of this football game has determined the team that went to the Rose Bowl like 60% of the time. So uh, this is a big game for the conference. That's a big game for Washington. It's a huge game for, for USC. Uh, but But what went on this weekend, I think, just drastically shows everybody out there uh, how how wonderfully competitive the conference is, especially when league play gets kicked off. Talk about competitiveness. Cal at Ole Miss, you were on the call for this game. Uh, it was two, like you said, Southern California previously quarterbacks, Chase Garbers from Corona Del Mar against Matt Corral from Long Beach Poly. Both, uh, don't, they've, I don't think they ever played against each other, but uh, they certainly have left their mark in the region. Cal ends up winning 28-20. to 20. And for those who don't know, there was a chance for Ole Miss to score at the end of the game. There was bad clock management and then a controversial non-review that eventually gave Cal the win. Ryan, you were able to stick around there. Obviously, uh, you guys sent it off because you were up against the clock, so there wasn't much of a conversation. You were able to stay and, and kind of assess what the situation was after the game. Should that, uh, that play, that Elijah Moore, when he was towing the goal line, should that have been re- reviewed before they went on uh, to potentially try and tie this game or, or continue the game at all? 
Yeah, well, it, 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 it's twofold, all right? So in that football game, uh, the play was called down outside uh, the end zone, which was third down. They had no timeouts left. Therefore, they had to rush to the line of scrimmage and get uh, a playoff if they wanted a chance to win because the last thing you want to do is not run a play there, hope they review the play, and then once they review it, show that you know it wasn't conclusive, he is down uh, at the half-inch yard line, and the game is over because you chose not to run a play. So they had to get up and try to run a play now. It's the responsibility of the officials in the booth to buzz down to the officials on the playing surface. And uh, it's not their protocol and it's not their job as, as officials out on the field of play to stop play in lieu of the possibility of a review. They had to play it out. So uh, the officials saw him um, be tackled outside the, the end zone. They set the ball for play. Ole Miss, which I thought was very forward thinking of their freshman quarterback to jump in there and still run a play because he easily could have been not ready and, and they may have not even got a playoff, but he did at least get a playoff and gave him a chance to win the football game or at least tie it up. And then really, really impressive um, play by the defense to be ready as well to stop the, the, the quarterback sneak. And then for Evan Weaver to scrape along the outside and make sure the forward progress was stopped. And that's how it ended the game. Huge win for the Cal Bears. We talked about the 9 a.m. start uh, Pacific time wise. It didn't bother them at all. They came out firing on all cylinders. They talked about it too. They said they, you know, you play a game at one in the morning, you know, midnight or, or, or 9 a.m. It doesn't matter. They're, they want to, they want to strap it up and, and go to work. And, and they came out and played unbelievably well, in particular at the quarterback position because they were limited a lot on that defense. They were limited. There's both two of their starting linebackers were out as well as one of their backups. And they still held the team with a lot of firepower to less than 24 points. That's 11 straight contests for this football team uh, to keep a team under 24 points. Pretty, pretty special. Chase Garbers, 23 for 35, 357 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, the improvement that he's made from last season to this season, at least from my perspective, is phenomenal. This game was really almost the cherry on top of the cake uh, to this point in the season. What did you see out of him that he's just been able to to really bear down inside for all intents and purposes uh, inside the pocket and, you know, not show so much urgency. He's more patient. He waits for the plays to develop. What about his game this year makes this Cal offense so good? Well, it wasn't this year, right? It had, we hadn't seen it yet. And this was a kind of a ultimatum game. I think uh, what they were seeing in practice simply wasn't being translated to the playing field during games and they needed to see it. You know, plain and simple. Coaches told us before the game that said, hey, you know, we need to see something here or, or there's going to make a change. And I don't know if the urgency of Devon Modster being eligible finally um, and, and pressing him from the back there a little bit, but he came out firing and he played as good a football game as he's played as a starting quarterback for the Cal Bears. He threw for a career record in yardage, completions, and I, and I think maybe attempts. Uh, and he only turned it over one time. He took a chance down the football field. Great play by DeAndre Pierre, uh, Prince, the, the rookie or freshman uh, defensive back for Ole Miss, uh, was the only mistake. Otherwise, offensively, if they can continue to play like this with the defense that they have, they're going to they're gonna buy for the North title. They, they definitely are. Uh, their schedule uh, two weeks from now at, Cap, at Oregon and then at Oregon later in the year present problems. 
But this was a team that I thought was going to be eight and four with losses to both Washington and Ole Miss. And they've, they've corrected me on those, which means I see them losing two more games. That means it's a 10 and two ball club. I don't know if that wins you the North. It's going to be pretty darn competitive, but it definitely puts you in a different, different uh, league of your own when it comes to the Cal bears. And now the only question after that is how do you keep Justin Wilcox in Berkeley and not somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, he got re-signed last year, but on a short leash uh, in terms of the contract, not in terms of how, how much uh, credibility they're giving him with that program because he's done a phenomenal job. By the way, this is a Cal team that in the media poll back in July was picked to finish uh, fifth in the North and ninth in the Pac-12 as a whole. They scored only an 81 in total points by the media. I think that they're really out uh, to prove some media members wrong. You mentioned the Oregon game in two weeks. Let's talk about the Ducks, 21-6. Over Stanford, the defense was as advertised, only two field goals allowed. Oregon's defense held Stanford to 3.4 yards per play on the ground, uh, or rather per carry, and 120 yards through the air. And I think finally Marcus Arroyo, the offensive coordinator for Oregon, called some right plays that really benefited Herbert and, and the rest of that receiving core. No Jawan Johnson, the transfer uh, from Ole Miss for the Ducks, and yet they were still able to use uh, both the tight end, Jacob Breland, and, and Red, and a couple of the other uh, really good playmakers that that Herbert has at his disposal um the 21 points is a little bit underwhelming but I think overall a pretty complete game for the Ducks no they they had not allowed a touchdown since Bo Nix's touchdown that got him beat on opening night and so defensively was always a question mark with them I, I knew offensively they were going to be better but Andy Avalos has, has come in from his Boise State job and absolutely made them a uh, a a defensive side of the football to be reckoned with. Uh, I thought they were a little bit conservative offensively. Justin Herbert is as special as you, you, you can imagine. No interceptions on his part this year. Uh, a, a Stanford team that has dominated this matchup for the last few years. Uh, could have, it's, it's difficult to play on the farm when, when Stanford's down. Because even when Stanford's up sometimes, you know, the fan base is just not there. It feels like you're playing in a scrimmage atmosphere. Uh, so for the defense to play the way they did, for them to get a win 21-6, to six, uh, to walk out of that stadium uh, ready to take on uh, Cal in two weeks after a bye. I think they're very pleased with where they are right now. Uh, hopefully they're not looking back at the end of the year and thinking about that Auburn game more and more. But right now they are at the, they are at the top of my power rankings. Of course, they, the top two teams last week got beat. So therefore Oregon steps into it and maybe rightfully so and more deservedly so than the other two teams uh, actually have the last few weeks. Oregon is the, by, by far, in my opinion, the best football team in the conference right now. Uh, they've, they've shown it since they walked away from that loss against Auburn. And it's going to be a fun one here in a couple of weeks, especially if Cal can get over Arizona State here on this short week. You mentioned Herbert, no interception through the first uh, four games of the season, three touchdowns in the previous one, 14 total touchdowns, no interceptions. KJ Costello, 16 for 30, only 120 yards and an interception. Two, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the Costello versus Herbert debate. You had Costello up ahead of Herbert, and I know that uh, two offensive linemen, very key parts of the offense for Stanford out, but Costello still didn't seem very comfortable. Uh, he was throwing shorter passes. Did I? Yeah, you did. When did we talk about this? We talked about the, the – this was prior to the UCF game. We talked about Costello versus Herbert, and you had Costello just a hair above Herbert in the Pac-12 uh, quarterback debate. No way. Yeah, we I have wanna, to go I get wanna, that I audio. That. I, I, want that. I, need, I, need, I need that when, I need that replayed and told me because there's, 
there's no way in hell I feel like that's the truth. All right. So that's, that's, that's good information. I'm, I, I need, I need to be, you know, I need to be shown the mirror every once again, if that's the case, I need, I need proof though. I don't believe that. To be I will happily send that audio. Um, <laughs> by far, by far, Justin Herbert's been the best quarterback in the PAC 12. You may say uh, Anthony Gordon is, but you know, I just, I just think the, that what Washington does offensively is gimmicky and it's never going to uh, win you a conference championship. So for me, Anthony Gordon, keep doing your thing, but it, it doesn't put you in the conversation of, uh, of best quarterback. Uh, if you want to talk about a great quarterback performance, look no further than both the quarterbacks in the Colorado-Arizona State game late Saturday night on Pac-12 Network. It was as special as you got, and not one anybody expected to happen. No one thought Jaden Daniels and Steven Montez were going to be the reasons why that game was high-scoring and tight late in the football game. I was so impressed with both their performances. Uh, excited uh, to see Colorado come out with the victory, especially without LaVisca Chenault, who went out with an injury. Skill position-wise, Colorado is as good as anybody, and that's going to be, uh, with Utah losing, is going to make that South division very, very interesting since everybody in that side of it can play well. Yeah, Colorado 34, ASU 31, the final. Uh, big win for Colorado. They were up 14-0 in the first. ASU put up three scores in the second to take a 21-14 lead, and then Colorado's defense was able to step up in the second half and eventually walk away with the win. You talk about uh, the quarterback battle, one that was under-advertised but really came through. Steven Montez for Colorado, 337 yards on 23 of 30 passing, three touchdowns on the other side. Jaden Daniels, 24 for 39, 345 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception that may have actually made the difference in the game. Oh, and by the way, uh, Tony Brown, the wide receiver for Colorado, after this game, and now I don't necessarily agree with this, you probably don't either, uh, but one of the Colorado reporters referred to him as a bigger Julio Jones. On the season, he does have 19 receptions for 301 yards and four touchdowns, but uh, three of those touchdowns coming in last night's game. By the way, another Southern California native uh, from La Mirada High School. So let's wrap it up with this, the rankings. Oregon at 13, Cal at 15, UW at 17, Utah at 19, USC at 21. What are your thoughts? Uh, here are mine. This will be my thought on it. Oregon number 10, Cal at 15, UW at 17, Utah at 18, Wazoo at 24. I just couldn't do it to them. They probably don't deserve to be in the top 25, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and see how they respond this week. There you have it. A little bit of nepotism for Washington State, but we'll see um, <laughs> how, how they respond, as you said, in a hostile Utah environment. We're going to preview that game and the rest of the Week 5 Pac-12 slate on our next episode on Thursday. But for now, for Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin. This has been Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcasting Network, LA's number one podcasting network for professionals. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.